Welcome back. Classes again in session. I am your ever stalwart Professor Hamby here with my TA, the ever parched Rowan. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. So we still haven't posted our last episode of Sandman where we talked about Ramadan. And I've got several other projects in the mix, not only looking at the ongoing Sandman storylines, but also a special podcast we'll do talking about the cosmology of Sandman. Ooh. Which I think will be interesting. Yeah. And I think answer a lot of questions that people have about, well, just how does some of this work? Maybe it'll pose some more questions as we go, too. Mm -hmm. And we will be pulling information on that, not only from everything we've talked about so far, but things to come as well as the prequel series, Overture. Now, I'm not going to go into during the lectures, every published Sandman work ever. But I am going to cover Overture and a collection called Endless Nights because I think they're both significant parts of the Sandman uh, uh, body of work. Mm. And I am debating, but I might also include a work he did with, and he being Neil Gaiman, a famous Japanese artist. In fact, he's the artist who's known for the concept work behind games like Final Fantasy. Mm. And they did a graphic novel together called The Dream Hunters. Mm -hmm. And I might include that as well. It's quite good. But today, we are going to skip past our Ramadan episode. I'm going to mm -hmm. delay releasing Ramadan another week so that I can paste, uh, post it right at the beginning of actual Ramadan here mm -hmm. in 2023. Which starts on, I believe... The evening of March 23rd. But don't quote me on that. Well. So today, we're going to talk about what is not only one of my favorite topics, but I believe one of yours, and that is Yuri Manga. Yeah. Now, I began thinking about this the other day. When you talk about literature, there is often a body of work commonly known motifs, themes, archetypes, and they enable you to talk about literature uh, within certain frameworks. Mm. And there actually is a fair bit of that for American and Western comic books. Mm. There's very little for manga. And what does exist for manga is almost all for shonen manga. Yeah. And a some signin manga, like Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm -hmm. But there's almost none for Yuri. Mm -hmm. So what I am going to do today is discuss version one of my framework for discussing Yuri. And I'd like your feedback on it. Okay. And this is dated March 11th, 2023, which is when I finished this draft. Although we're recording on a later date than that. Mm. And... As I continue to read Yuri Manga in the future, I will add to, update, and expand this. Mm -hmm. And we may talk about that on future episodes. Oh, okay. Also, for those who follow my Tumblr, I am going to post the text of this to my Tumblr. Mm. So, while manga, whether we're talking about shonen, shoujo, seinen, whatever, often displays elements that are distinct from Western literature, uh, the whole work is pretty easily recognizable. I mean, you can take 
the same tools that we just talked about for analyzing, say, East of Eden by John Steinbeck, and look at Lone Wolf and Cub. If you have the tools to discuss the structure and elements of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, then you can use those same ones for your say at Sura. I mean, the aliens coming from outer space to cause havoc and trick people is not fundamentally different than the phase coming from an other space to harass and trick people. Mm -hmm. And their science fiction alien powers, which often have absolutely no rationale whatsoever, are no different than the magic powers of the Fae. Yeah, we... As a culture, we literally use magic to basically say, I don't want to explain this, so it's magic. Right, which works well in magic, but we do it in science fiction also, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons a genre of, say, Star Trek is often described as science fantasy. Because science works much more like magic in that than it does in what is called hard Mm sci-fi, which is a genre we attribute to things like Andy Weir's The Martian. Mm -hmm. And then there are things that are somewhere in between, like Asimov. Asimov often based ideas using technology in a far future that we don't have any basis for, so it's not hard sci-fi, but he attempts to make it follow rules that generally follow our current idea. Mm -hmm. And for those things, they just kind of fall in the middle and we call them science fiction. Mm Now, Yuri, I think, is really interesting and distinct enough that is worth talking about its own tool set. And so I'm going to come back to this. I will say that I mostly, in my head, was thinking about a handful of works. Mm-hmm. I sat down and reread the NTR series, Netzuo Trap, uh, a few other of that author's works, Volume 1 of Eclair, because I wanted to go through it very methodically. Mm-hmm. And I found that in those various works, everything I wrote in here fits those works, as well as what I could think of others. But I'm going to line up and read over the next, say, year everything I can find in the Yuri genre and expand this document and twist, tweak it to mm-hmm. make things fit as well as I can to provide as comprehensive a framework for discussing Yuri as I can. I know I repeated myself a little bit in there, but I think some of those points are worth hitting multiple times. Mm -hmm. So, what would you say is the dominant theme in Yuri? The dominant theme? Yes. I would argue that there's one theme that actually is present in every Yuri by definition. What, complications? No. A theme. I'm not sure I can think of one that is between every single Yuri series. I would argue that love. Mm. That there is a dominant theme of of love, an unknown love, mm-hmm. that dominates every Yuri work. Mm-hmm. And every Yuri work has at least two characters. In fact, it's almost always two characters. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a third one and there's a triangle. Mm -hmm. And resolving the question 
of what kind of love exists between these characters exists in everyone. Mm. So not only is it a theme, but it's a conflict present in every Yuri. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. That makes sense. Now, love, what kind of love, becomes an interesting question then, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, the first two types of, I think there are five types of love, five types of affection mm-hmm. that come up in Yuri's stories. One and two are pretty obvious. So let's just go ahead and get those out of the way. Mm-hmm. And those are sexual and romantic love. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I put sexual love in its own category because while love and sex are often separated, the emotions connected with physical attraction, I don't think it's fair to completely dismiss them. Mm-hmm. I think it is po- possible for there to be a real affection associated with physical attraction that isn't the same thing as a romantic love. Yeah. Some people even build successful relationships on it. Now, there's a subcategory of sexual love that I find very interesting and we find in Yuri, and that is what I call aesthetic attraction. Mm. You see this in stories like The Hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Uh, one character is obsessed with the other girl's hair. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It is straight. It just falls perfectly. It has no chemical sting to it because she never has to put anything in it. And it is not clear from the story if the girl, uh, who is the point of view character, has a sexual interest in the other girl, but she definitely has an aesthetic attraction to her. Mm-hmm. Which are different. Right. But very closely related, because aesthetics are a component of both. Uh-huh. And this is related to a concept that we see in... Eastern entertainment a fair bit, which is called skinships. Mm-hmm. Now, are you familiar with skinships? I've heard the term used around, but I don't think I've ever had it actually explained to me. It is a uh, playoff, the term friendship. Mm-hmm. But it is the idea, and it is played up for rather stupid, cheesy entertainment a fair bit in, say, J-pop and K-pop. But the idea that two girls may be very physical with each other in a touchy-feely way, Mm. even though it's not sexual. Mm -hmm. Now, this is often done with a nudge-nudge, wink-wink to the grass-eater audience of, come on, they're secretly lesbians. You can imagine them lesbians. Buy all their products while you're thinking of them lesing out on each other. Mm. It's it's pretty sad and pathetic. But, and if you push away that entertainment side of J-pop and K-pop and actually look at where it originated Mm -hmm. in the culture, it is this idea that girls may... And it's not just girls. I mean, it happens in... Like, for example, I've been told that there are several BTS members that have skinships and the girls who like that idea of the boys being gay just go gaga for it. Mm -hmm. But it is the idea that they can have this sort of physical relationship that doesn't escalate to sexual, but they do enjoy contact with each other. Mm -hmm. Whether it's hugging, holding hands, finding each other attractive, 
So I put that under that category of aesthetic attraction that is sort of a, a different aspect of sexual love. Mm -hmm. And perhaps at some point I'll rephrase this as aesthetic love with sexual love as a subcategory of it. Mm, okay. I'm increasingly thinking that might be the case. Yeah. But as I said, this is a work in evolution. And then romantic love is a concept we're all very familiar with. Mm -hmm. And of course, it is not rare to have stories where both of these are present. They go pretty naturally together. Yeah. You know, having both a sexual attraction and wanting to build a life with that person. Mm -hmm. But romance is different from building a life. Mm -hmm. Actually, any of these could potentially involve people establishing lifelong bonds. Mm -hmm. Especially the next one. Mm -hmm. And this is what I call devoted love. Mm. Now, I'm avoiding the term platonic love here. Platonic love is a term we use in English a lot to mean a form of affection without a physical component. Mm -hmm. So guys who are not homosexual but are, you know, close bros have a platonic love. However... Platonic love is a term I dislike because, do, do you know where it comes from? No. Have you ever heard of the philosopher Plato? Yes. Plato and his philosophies describe the idea of there being a realm of perfect forms of things. Mm. And he had a whole analogy, if you ever take Philosophy 101, you'll have to hear about the shapes on the cave walls from the fire. Okay. as an explanation of platonic forms and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you can also get it by reading Mage the Awakening, um, <laughs> who discusses the same concepts, if you want to get it from a role-playing game instead of a philosophy course in college. Mm. And so a platonic form is a perfect version of something. Mm -hmm. So when you say something is platonic love, if you're going back to the origin of it, you're saying it is the perfect form of love, and therefore other things are impure. But I don't think anyone uses it that way anymore. I am an English lit guy, and I care about where words came from. Eh, I don't, personally. Well, I'm calling it devoted love. That's fine. And I'm starting my crusade to get rid of the term platonic love. There will be a GoFundMe posted soon. Um, I'll do one of those survey things that people could... Uh, not surveys. One of those things where you sign up your name on the list. Petition? Uh, petition. That's the word I'm looking for. And we can submit it to uh, the English Language Council. Uh, I think they'll have to thaw them out of the deep freezer. Uh, They've been gone for a while now. Yeah. But... It also, but not only does it imply it's better, but it also implies that it's exclusive to the others. And I think you can, and we certainly have within the Yuri genre, this present in stories, where you have devoted love present with romance, with sexual, with other forms of love. And I would argue that that if you took characters that express a desire to spend the rest of their lives together, devoted to each other, then you're 
probably finding something that is described as romantic, sexual, and devoted, and not exclusive, where a platonic form would be. Mm. Personal opinion. And certainly within Yuri, we find forms of devoted love where sexual and romantic don't exist. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to underscore that while Yuri as a genre certainly has a strong sapphic element in it, it is not by definition lesbian fiction. Mm -hmm. And even when the characters are both female and do have an attraction to each other, there's not necessarily a romantic or sexual component. Mm -hmm. These loves can exist and these affections that I'm listing can exist in any combination with each other. Mm -hmm. The fourth kind is, in my opinion, the least common to be found in Yuri, but it certainly exists, and that's familial love. Mm -hmm. These are stories between, say, sisters or a daughter and mother. Mm -hmm. And the fifth kind is one that I don't have a term for yet, but it's based on common experience. Sometimes trauma. And it's oh, some, the trauma. And it's something that bonds the characters together into a sense of shared identity around events they have both experienced. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these are rather odd stories. Mm -hmm. And these are sometimes stories where the characters feel this intense connection with each other. It's not necessarily sexual, romantic. They don't see themselves living together. They're not family. But they have this shared experience that they feel will continue to bind them together through their lives. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you see this in Yuri where, say, they're high school girls and they clearly have a shared sense of identity that binds them. And say, school ends and they're going to drift off to other places in life. But they still continue to feel this sense of connection even if they go off to different paths in life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you think that those forms of attraction make sense? Those forms of affection? Yeah, mostly, yeah. I'm also going to note for our listening audience that one of the hounds has joined us in the office, mm -hmm. and I'm currently trying to breathe because, dear God, I don't know what freshman you ate, but clearly, the school cafeteria is putting something bad in their bodies. Oh. My. God. I've never been so happy to be this stuffed up. I didn't even know she dropped one. I'm extremely stuffed up, and... Oh, my God. It's a good thing I like the hounds. That's all I'm saying. I don't know what he feeds them. Well, I mean, they eat freshmen. Question is, what are the freshmen eating? I mean, based on the smell of this, I'm assuming it's stinky cheese pizzas. There's a reason I don't go into the dorms. There really is. And that is wisdom on your part. So, another element in a common but not universal theme that I think is present in Yuri that we have to talk about is ambiguity. Mm. Now, what do you think about when I say ambiguity? B amb bleh, bleh. Words are hard. Ambiguity in Yuri manga. 
I always think of the unclear relationships where you don't really know where they're gonna go. And it's still unclear by the end if they're just friends or if there's gonna be more that's gonna happen. I think you're completely correct, and I think you have to break it up some. I think those are all examples. And the fact that characters often are ambiguous in how they feel. Mm-hmm. Now, to go back to the hairdresser, which I mentioned earlier, I think it's a great example of this. The characters are clearly in a relationship at the end, but the nature of that relationship is completely unclear. Mm-hmm. We really don't get anything but a throwaway comment about how one of them will continue to do the other's hair each day. Mm -hmm. It's not even clear if the one who's pushing the events, how she feels, other than... Because the only thing she explicitly tells us is that she's attracted to the girl's hair. Mm -hmm. Does she want to go out on dates with the girl? Are there romantic feelings? Or is it only that... Uh, uh, aesthetic attraction. Mm-hmm. We don't know. And a tropical fish yearns for snow. It's one of the worst at this. It's a whole series with multiple volumes. And we get point of view of both girls. We know both girls have feelings for the other. But we are never told what those feelings really are ever, ever, ever. It's a bit frustrating, actually. I can tell. And at the end, we know that they connect and their bond deepens, but we still don't know what's going to happen. It's ambiguous all the way through. Those are the worst and best kinds of Yuri at the same time. Yes, I agree. And that's an interesting Yuri because there is a side story plot, actually, about a different kind of Yuri relationship in it, a familial Yuri relationship between one of the girls and her mother. Mm. It's a very minor plot line. Mm. But she also has familial elements that develop between her and her father and her brother, and even her brother and her mother. So there's lots of relationships that build up in that story. Mm. And finally, I'm going to say that, although not super common, power exchange is a Mm. theme that's present in some Yuri, mm-hmm. especially more of the sexually charged Yuri's, mm-hmm. but not necessarily. I mean, for example, in Master One Out of Three Sixty Five, you have a girl who can't get a birthday gift for this other girl, so she says, "I'll be your slave." Mm-hmm. The other girl doesn't think to have her do anything other than some trivial little acts, so the girl escalates it into a kiss. And the story ends on more kissing. Which is cute. It is. But it's also very clear that there's a strong physical interest on both Uh parts. And that there is a sexual attraction there. But not all forms of power exchange lead up to that. For example, in Human Emotion, we have a protagonist who is clearly autistic, although Mm -hmm. that term is never used. And... She has basically trained herself to be perfect. She looks perfect. She does things perfectly. Her only real flaw is she doesn't understand other people very well. Mm-hmm. And she has a co-worker who she is attracted to who's a mess. She screws everything up. Mm-hmm. But this sort of authority she has over the other girl 
where the other girl needs her and she has to take care of that girl is a form of power exchange. Mm -hmm. A sort of top and bottom relationship. Mm -hmm. Not master-slave, but a little bit more of person and pet. Mm -hmm. A theme that they actually explore in the story. And there are other Yuri stories, including uh, one in Eclair that I can't remember the title of off the top of my head, but it's an older woman and a young girl, and it is a uh, devotion. The older woman is devoted to being the tutor and, mm -hmm. and guardian of this young girl. Mm -hmm. And there is a definite power element because she has to keep the girl under her control mm -hmm. for her protection. So that is a different kind of Yuri story. And this brings us to the conflicts. Mm -hmm. Now, I would argue that all Yuri has one central false conflict and then one or more two... One or more true conflicts. What do you think most people would say the core conflict of a Yuri story is? Normally, it, I'm, at least in most, at least the ones I read, it tends to be them trying to get together and under or understand their feelings for each other and whatever types of feelings it is. Now, you combined a lot into that sentence. Sorry. And I think you're, you managed, by combining so many elements, to be both right and wrong at the same time. No, but that's good. Now, I think you're, the first thing you said of understanding each other's feelings, resolving that relationship, many people would say that is the primary conflict in Yuri. Mm -hmm. That is what I think is the false conflict in Yuri. Mm. Because the real conflict in Yuri isn't what is the nature of the relationship, which would be the central conflict in most Western romance stuff. Mm -hmm. The real conflict is what are the characters' internal feelings? How do they resolve their internal feelings? Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes finding out how the other one feels helps progress the plot. But it's not resolving the conflict because their feelings are independent of the other person's feelings. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in NTR, we have two main characters. And I'll talk about their archetypes later. But one of them sort of drives the plot and the other sort of responds to the first character's actions. And the first character knows her feelings. That's not a conflict. Mm -hmm. She wants this other girl. Mm -hmm. In just about every way. I mean, sexually, romantically, wants to spend her life with her, all these things. Mm -hmm. The real conflict is the second girl needs to resolve her feelings. Mm -hmm. She likes the girl. They grew up together. But does she feel that way for her? Mm -hmm. And then once that's resolved, then everything else can be resolved. Mm -hmm. But that's the true conflict. And it's an interesting difference because the tone of resolutions is also diverse uh, uh, and can be ambiguous. But in Western fiction, conflicts tend to primarily be external, mm -hmm. even in romances. Mm -hmm. The conflict isn't, 
in her in you know this woman's feelings in a romance novel, uh, even if she's a complete psycho, the real conflict is how is the relationship going to be resolved? Mm. And of course, you know, if you read most fantasy novels, science fiction, other stuff, conflicts tend to be external. Mm. There's a relatively small body of work, although there is some, where the th- mm-hmm. themes and conflicts are about self-revelation. But it's a pretty small body of work. And that's true even in manga. I mean, most shonen is ex- about external conflicts. Mm. I mean, if you sit down and read My Hero Academia, Deku may need to figure some stuff out internally, but for the most part, the conflict is about beating up the bad guys. Yeah. But not so in Yuri. In Yuri, the conflicts are almost exclusively internal. Mm-hmm. Even if a girl worries about how will society see her if she comes out as gay, mm-hmm. the conflict isn't actually with society. The conflict is how is she going to manage her own feelings about this. Yeah. And I find that very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I find it way more interesting than the external conflicts. Now, Yuri Manga doesn't have a absolute chokehold on this. There are other mangas that explore this. For example, one of my favorites is called After the Rain, mm-hmm. where, interestingly, again, the protagonist is a female, mm-hmm. about the same age as a lot of Yuri characters, late teens. But it's not a Yuri story. Her object of interest is a middle-aged man. And in a lot of ways, it kind of ends like Yuri does. Mm. Without any kind of resolution you'd expect in a Western book. There's no May-December romance happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But all of them, including the middle-aged male person, has internal conflicts. And as the plot comes to a conclusion those internal conflicts are resolved Mm -hmm. and bring about change in their life. So in Yuri, the true conflict is internal to one or more characters. Mm -hmm. And the resolution of the relationship between them is a side effect of internal conflicts being resolved, but also optional. Some Yuri stories just end on the female character going, oh, I get it now. I'm ready to move on. And story ends, and you don't even know what she does. Yeah. Which, if you really got into the story, makes you go, Ah! <laughs> right? Mm, yeah. Are you checking your phone in class? No. This isn't class. It's a lecture. This is a TA. Oh, my Lord. Stop browsing weird subreddits. I thought, you know... The counselor already talked to you about that. It's not Reddit this time. Oh, God, I don't want to know. Okay, so, character roles. Mm -hmm. I'm very curious about your opinion about these. Okay. So, I have come up with four character roles that so far I've managed to fit every major character in a Yuri into. Okay. So, the first one is called the Minx. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a female character who's interested in another girl sexually or romantically. This doesn't preclude other types of relationships as well and other types of affections. In fact, they're often good friends mm-hmm. as well. Now, a minx may have self-doubts and not be as sophisticated as they appear, but they often put up a very tough front. Mm-hmm. 
They may be aggressive, and a combination of their doubts and interests are often a major driving force behind the plots. Mm -hmm. For example, Hotaru and NTR, who we talked about a moment ago. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, some short stories, like The Unemployed Woman and The High School Girl, both are minxes Mm -hmm. and have a point of conflict because they're both trying to drive the plot in different directions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But both trying to resolve a relationship with the other. Although the only real conflict there is the one in the unemployed woman. Mm-hmm. And the aggressiveness of the minks can mix into the themes in a variety of ways. For example, we talked about the power exchange of the one in Master for one out of 365. Mm-hmm. Now, the ingenue is a girl who's naive. Mm-hmm. She is likely interested in other girls, but may not be aware of it herself or may have so many self-doubts that she cripples her own ability to act. Mm-hmm. And is often paired in a story with a minx archetype. Yeah, they normally tend to go hand in hand. Right. And so the minx often pushes the ingenue. Yes, she tends to be the plot pusher, while the other one tends to be the one who reacts to her actions. Right. And then we have the enigma. This is a character that we don't get to see the internal voice of and is often unexpressive. They're an object of interest from other characters and we don't get to know their feelings until the very end and even then they may only be implied. Their job is to react to the events in the story. Kaisan from Happiness in the Shape of a Scar is an example. One girl is really interested in her and we get to hear her thoughts, but Kaisan just plays piano and gets her hand broken and the other girl responds to the trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. But both characters from Tropical Fish Yearns for Snow are enigmas. Even though we know they both care about a relationship with the other and care about them, we don't know in what way. Uh And Human emotion, we see variations, where the minx is very reserved, and probably autistic, as I said, while the enigma is very vocal and expressive, Mm -hmm. which is a reverse of the usual roles. Yeah, the enigma doesn't have to necessarily be kind of cold. Right. It's just common. Right. And then my fourth one, and this is what I call the tourist. Mm -hmm. They're not really a Yuri character, they just wandered into the story. Oh, yeah. Which tends to be most of the background characters. (laughs) Right. But I'm not meaning background characters here. Here, for these archetypes, what I'm talking about are primary characters. Oh, Oh, yeah. There's been a few of those. For example, there is one in a short story, and I don't remember the title of it, but there is a minx character, Mm -hmm. and she runs a flower shop. And Mm -hmm. this woman comes in to buy flowers every week. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's like, ah, the woman's into me. I can tell she's flirting. I'm going to play it cool. By the end of the story, we find out, no, she wasn't coming into the flower shop for anything to do with a Yuri relationship. She wanted flowers. She she actually was there and emotional. And she was having emotions. Mm -hmm. But because what it was was she had had a pet that she used to take to the to a uh, uh, 
shop next door to buy doggy treats for every week until it passed away. Oh, and she no longer could had a reason to go in there, but... But she still wanted to go there, so she started going to the flower shop next door. And that's why she was always emotional and awkward coming in to buy the flowers. Oh, that's so... So she's a tourist. She wandered into a Yuri story by accident. Oopsie daisy, this was about a dead dog recently. <laughs> now, ironically, she ends up in a friendship with the Yuri character. No. It's not romantic, it's not sexual, they're not devoted to each other, they're not familial, but they do end up with that fifth kind of affection of this shared experience they rotate around together mm-hmm. as they form this connection. Which can sometimes be just as sweet as romantic. Right. So she is a legitimate Yuri character, mm-hmm. but not until the end of the story. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing people don't seem to understand. Yuri's about relationships. It doesn't have to be romantic. Well, more than that, it's about girl love. Uh-huh. It, but it just doesn't have to be romantic or sexual. Because there's tons of different kinds of love. Right. And these are more intuitive to the Yuri audience mm-hmm. than to, I think, the average Western reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Yuri has been a sort of byword for sapphic or lesbian at times in Japanese culture, but never a defining word. It, it's, it first showed up actually in the like, 1970s where a gay men's magazine made a reference to it as sort of commonality with those of the lily tribe. For those who don't know, a yuri in Japanese is the lily flower. Mm-hmm. But that was gay men applying the term in a magazine. And as a Bible and myself, I don't like when they speak for us. <laughs> I think that's fair. And and I don't think it gets to be applied, you know, that way on the basis of that. And I think since then, although it has been uh, embraced by the lesbian community in Japan, mm-hmm. they have other words for sapphic and lesbian mm. that are much more specific. And I don't think uh, their intention is that Yuri means lesbian. Mm-hmm. But I do think they want it to include them. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, And indeed, even in that original use, which had to be picked up by others, mm-hmm. I think the context was such that the gay men were basically saying, not saying that Yuri meant lesbian but that Yuri meant female. Mm -hmm. And then in the context of his discussion, that it should be that subgroup of women who were homosexuals. Mm -hmm. In other words, even in that original context, I don't think it was meant to say lesbians. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes perfect sense. So I think that's it. I... That, what do you think as a basic framework for discussing archetypes of characters and themes and conflicts? Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that works really well. Okay. So we're going to publish this one. Then we'll publish Ramadan in a week. And 
somewhere in there we're going to get a bunch more stuff done. But Rowan's giving me the hand signals that she has to pee desperately. Now, she has held out for like 40 minutes. So we're ne so she's holding like three units of pee right now. So with that, class is no longer in session. Okay, class is dismissed, but you are not. I have a quick info dump for you. If you want to listen to more of the podcast, we are available everywhere. We are on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, even on YouTube. Additionally, you can find me on social media, on Mastodon, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok. I probably have a copy of the podcast on an iPod mini in a hobo's pocket in San Francisco. That's right, time travel. Do you want to know where you can find all these links? You can find them on my link tree. That is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Prof Hamby, P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y. It is the comics course. And don't forget your homework.